Well, before we begin our Torah study, would you pray together with me? Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kidshenu b'mitzvotav, v'tivanu la'asot, b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. It is one thing for us to say that we believe in God, but it's another thing altogether to actually trust God with our lives and to trust him in the details of our living, to live in a way that consistently reflects that trust. And that's why it's so important for us to, to learn from Abraham what a life of faith is actually like because he trusted God. He looked to the Lord and he did not waver in his faith and he is an example to you and to me of the life of faith. And an example of that phrase I introduced last week, emunah kadima, faith forward. Faith will take you forward in life and Abraham not only discovered that, he's a great example of it. This weekend we're going to be looking at the life of Abraham, the life of Sarah and seeing what they learned about God who is faithful. And what they learned about trusting him that you and I can depend on. Before we begin looking at the Torah portion, I want to start with something that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans. Do we have any Italians in the room? Anyone of Italian descent? Eh, don't be shy. This is not a trick question. Congratulations. Paul wrote a letter to the Italians, the Romans. But in writing to the Romans, he was writing to all the Italians, and he wanted to impress upon them that Abraham was an example for them, not just for the Jews, but for everyone, and that they should actually look to Abraham and his faith as a model for their own life of faith. You see this in Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. It says this, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Let's say our benefit too together. Our benefit too. It wasn't just for him, it's for us. We get something from it too. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Yeshua our Lord from the dead. So the life of Abraham shows us what faith is like and that we will only be counted as the righteous ones of God when we actually put our trust in God, as Abraham did. And we who put our trust in God by believing in Yeshua are connected to the same God that Abraham is connected to. That makes us sons and daughters of Abraham, whether we're Jewish, Roman, Greek, Italian, Yugoslavian, Puerto Rican, uh, and on and on. We go. This week's Torah portion gives us a detailed picture of Abraham's faith. And we're going to look at three episodes in the Torah portion that reflect Abraham's life of faith. And each one reveals different aspects of the faithfulness of God. But I want to tell you this. This particular Parsha is one of the richest in all the scriptures. 
It's possible just to take one or two lines, one or two verses out of the, the Parsha and, and meditate on them for hours and even days. Sandy and I were reviewing the scriptures this morning. And I told her that there were certain things I wanted to talk about, there, but there were other things I wish I could talk about, but I won't. And she said, give me an example. And I said, God says, shall I withhold from Abraham what I'm about to do? And he goes down and he tells Abraham what he's about to do regarding Sodom and Gomorrah. And I said, you know what? I could talk for hours about those Two sentences, just that, that little line. What does it tell us about God willing to, to, to uh, communicate and confide in those who trust in him? But that's not what we're doing tonight. You'll have to work on that yourself. That was just a tease. God's faithfulness is the foundation of our faith. The reason we can put our trust in God is not because we have blind faith, but because we have faith that sees. We see that God is faithful. God who is faithful proves himself time and again in every generation to anyone who puts their trust in him so that we are not foolish who put our trust in him. We're actually wise beyond all natural means. Let's look at the first episode in Genesis chapter 18. The episode one is God's visitation with Abraham and Sarah and the promise that Sarah would conceive and give birth. We're just going to look at a few verses here. Genesis chapter 18, verse 10. It says, The Lord said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. So let's look at the details here. God speaks to Abraham and says, I will return. And he says as well, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. These are two very important details that connect to Genesis chapter 21, where we see how this folds out. Very simple statements here. Of course, I'm only picking highlights because I want to encourage you to go back and look at these yourself. Genesis 21, verse 1, it says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Say that with me. As he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Say that with me. As he had spoken. As he had said, as he had spoken. He visited exactly as he said, and he did exactly as he had spoken. Then verse 2. Because Sarah conceived, and she bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Now, I know there are young people who love becoming parents, but if you were 100 years old, if you were 75, if you were 80, 90, 60, becoming a parent at that moment would be hard. It'd be impossible for some of us. In his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him, so we get these facts. God returned, just as he had said. Sarah gave birth, just as God had said. 
And we see these details about Abraham getting the son at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Now, this first episode shows us three aspects of God's faithfulness that I want to underline. And I want to assure you of this. The, the, the aspects of God's faithfulness we'll cover tonight are, are not an exhaustive list. We're going to look at several different details, but I don't want you to think this is the limit of God's faithfulness. In fact, as we're reading in different places in the scriptures tonight, you may come across 10 more or 15 more aspects of God's faithfulness. If you do, I encourage you, just take note of them and reflect on them in the future. But don't think that because I'm highlighting these that they are exclusive. However, having said that, these are important. If you and I are going to trust God, it can't be theoretical, it can't be abstract, it can't be simply doctrinal, it can't be just theological. We have to trust God with the details of our lives. He will guide us and protect us. He will lead us in paths that he has prepared for us. And so we have to learn how to trust him in a lot of detail. So here's, here's the, the first aspect of God's faithfulness that this episode reveals. God's timing is perfect. And I want you to repeat these with me simply because it will help you remember them sometimes. God's timing is perfect. You say it. You see, Abraham and Sarah trusted the Lord when he said, I'm going to return at a set time, and God came when? Two hours late? Three weeks early? No, he came as he had said. His timing is perfect. And you know what that means? We can trust God for his perfect timing too. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get it right when you're trying to figure things out. But when God reveals to you by his Spirit something concrete, you can learn to hear his voice and put your trust in him. When he says now, what does that mean? It means now. When he says later, what does that mean? You're doing well. So when, when you're saying, God, I want this now, and he says later, you can trust in his perfect timing. It's not easy because we want it now, right? You know the story about the guy who was really impatient, cried out to God, and said, Lord, I know for you that uh, a day is like a thousand years, and, and so I'm just asking you to, to hurry up. Can you, can you do it for me now? And the Lord says, in a minute. <laughs> God has perfect timing, and you can join yourself to him and his sense of timing. Now, the second aspect of God's faithfulness that Abraham and Sarah discovered is this, God keeps his promises. How many of you have kids who remind you of things you said you would do? Do you remember the good old days, those of us who have, who have grown up kids, when the kids would come to you and they would say, well, mommy, you said we could go to the beach. And you distinctly remember you said maybe, Right? But how many of you learned over the years that when you tell your kids maybe, they, they hear yes? Mm -hmm. I, I learned that the hard way. So you know what I would tell my kids? Here's the answer, no. And then they'll go, wah. And I say, now it's possible it will work out. But if you need an answer right now, the answer is no. 
And, and then they went away thinking, maybe. <laughs> God keeps his promises. Abraham and Sarah trusted the Lord because God keeps his promises. The very things that God had spoken to Abraham, the very things that God had spoken to Sarah, he kept. Now, it's important to take notice that God spoke to both Sarah and to Abraham, because this reveals something, that God is the God of Abraham and Sarah. He's not just the God of guys. He's the God of women, too. And he made covenant just, not just with Abraham, but with Sarah as well. And he promised and fulfilled things through Sarah and Abraham, not just through Abraham. In fact, there was a moment when Abraham was ready to fulfill things himself, and that wasn't enough in God's eyes. He wanted to accomplish his purposes through Abraham and Sarah. God keeps his promises. And so we can trust in God in fulfilling his promises. When he speaks to us, when he reveals things in his word, we can learn how to trust him for those very things. Now, the third aspect of God's faithfulness that we discover in this is related to the second one is this. God is able to do what he promises. You see, sometimes God promises things that are impossible for you to fulfill. There are other times where he promises things that you could fulfill on your own, but maybe not in the right way. But you have to learn, and I have to learn, what Abraham and Sarah had to learn. God's able to do what he promises. Now imagine you're, you're elderly, and God comes to you and says, don't worry, this is just the beginning. You're going to be a mom and dad. And you think, hey, that's impossible. We're too old. It's past that time in our lives. We can't. We can't have kids. God knows how to do. Not only does he know how to do, he's able to do what he promises. He is able. Abraham and Sarah trusted the Lord because God's able to do what Abraham and Sarah couldn't do in their own power. That's why the detail is, is covered several times in this passage in Abraham's old age, in Sarah's age, God did this thing. So that you and I would know that God was able to accomplish what Abraham and Sarah could not do. There are some things in your life that God wants to accomplish that you can't do. Now, everybody who's a high achiever, you don't like to hear this stuff, I know. And everybody who is like a diligent, disciplined person, you, you, you prefer to think, I can do it. If God calls me to do it, I can do it. Well, let me tell you the rest of the story. God can call you to do it, and you still can't do it. But you can do it with him. God will put you into situations that will continually reveal that no matter how competent you are, no matter how wise you are, no matter how many resources you, are, you, you have, you still need him. He will put you in situations where you cannot accomplish everything that's in front of you if you do it only on your own power. In this way, you'll learn what it means to strive in the flesh. Has anybody ever done that? Have you ever tried to accomplish something in your own power? Even things God told you he wanted to accomplish, but you decided to do it your way? 
And have you ever gotten to that place where you just get sick and tired of being sick and tired? Because you're trying to do it in your own power. There was a period in my life where I had to, I had to find men called by God to begin Messianic congregations in the former Soviet Union, and I couldn't find enough. We were trying to start more congregations than I could find people. And we were going all over looking for them. And at one point in desperation, I just cried out to God, God, I can't find them. Would you bring them to me? I can't say that the Holy Spirit exactly said this, but this is the way I heard it from the Holy Spirit. Well, duh. That's how I understood it, that I was praying in desperation something he was waiting for me to pray, to get to the, to the end of my own sense of ability and to trust him in a whole other dimension. And so I prayed, Lord, bring them to me. A few days later, we went to another city, and to our surprise, this guy approaches Sandy and me, and he wants me to marry him. He's a Jewish believer, and God's doing some work in his life. He ended up becoming the leader of a Bible school, and there was a call on his life to be a shepherd, and it happened again and again like that. God would bring us to cities where he wanted to do something, and then he'd bring the person. The person didn't look like they were the person when he brought them. In the same way that David didn't look like he was king when he was just a little kid out there taking care of sheep. But we saw something. God was able to do what he set out to do. He'd bring us teenagers and tell us this one has a call on his life. And we'd say, great. And so we'd work with them and see how that panned out. It got to the point where I'd say, Lord, this is good. Could you bring us some 10-year-olds? And he started doing that too. God's able to do in his power what you can't do in your power. And, in, and because of that, you can trust that God is able to do what he promises. Not only does he make promises, but he's able to do them. And you know why it's important to know that? Because often we will be in circumstances where we can't fulfill the thing. And we'll think it can't be fulfilled. We know God promised it, but we can't imagine that it can be fulfilled. That's why we're taught that he will do more than we ask or imagine. That's right. Sometimes you can't imagine he can work the way he needs to work, and he can do that. He's not limited by your imagination. He's greater than that. Now let's go to episode two. Tough story here. God tells Abraham he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 18, verse 20. The Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, verse 21, I will go down now. That is a challenging idea in the scriptures. I will go down now. You know who it's most challenging to? All my Monidean Jews who hold to the idea that God cannot have any physicality or locality. And yet the Torah says that God goes down. He goes down to see whether they have done according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I'll know. So 
he goes down to look for himself. We could talk for three hours about how important that is and why it's important from the, the point of view of justice and bearing witness, having enough witnesses and so forth, but we're not gonna get into that because of time and the focus of what we're talking about. But let me underline something. This is describing the presence of God in a specific place he goes down. And it continues in verse 22. And the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. I want you to take note of this. He still stood before the Lord. And then it says, and Abraham came near. That next phrase is very important because the the Hebrew conveys a physical approach. He came near. In other words, it's, it's confirming the simple reading. God came down. He was in some way physically local. Now, when God is in a place, does that mean he's nowhere else? No, because unlike you and me, he can be in more places, more than one place at the same time. But God does come down. And Abraham's standing before the Lord, and that's not just religious idiom, meaning he's aware of God. It means he's physically near God. That's why it says in verse 23, Abraham came near. So Abraham comes even closer, and that is the normal meaning of that Hebrew that is translated came near. And he says, would you, Lord, also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And so the Lord says, if I find, take notice of that, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place for their sakes. Then Abraham answers and says, Indeed, now I, who am but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord? Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for the lack of five? And so the Lord says, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And here we get practice in Jewish negotiating. And he spoke to him yet again and said, well, suppose there should be 40 found there. And so the Lord says, well, I won't do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, well, let the Lord not be angry, but let me speak, suppose 30 should be found there. And he says, I won't do it if I find 30 there. And then he said, well, I've already gone this far. I've taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. And then he said, Lord, don't be angry. Let me speak one more time. Suppose 10 would be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. And so the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Now this episode shows us three additional aspects of God's faithfulness. 
The first one here is this, God is merciful. Say that with me. God is merciful. Abraham knew that God was merciful, and that's why he could enter into this discussion. Lord, I know that justice calls for taking action at this point, but you're the God of mercy, and I know you'll spare all of the people if you find any who are righteous. Abraham trusts the Lord because he knows that God is a God of mercy, and so Abraham asks for mercy. Much can be learned by understanding Abraham's first responses when God comes to him. Abraham takes up the role of intercessor. We live in a time when people are yearning for justice to vindicate their own political position inside. And we have to understand something, that if we're sons and daughters of Abraham, that's not our primary yearning. Our primary, primary yearning is for the mercy of God to have its victory in people's lives. Abraham asked for mercy. We can ask for mercy as well. The second aspect of God's faithfulness is this. God is righteous. Not only is he merciful, he's righteous. Say this with me. God is righteous. You see, Abraham trusts in God's righteousness. He understands that if God has to do something, he'll spare those who are righteous who trust him. He'll spare them. And so he appeals to God's commitment to the righteous. It's not only mercy, it's righteousness too. Lord, do that which is righteous because you are such a God. And he asked God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah for the sake of the righteous there. And how much righteousness did Sodom and Gomorrah have to have? Ten. Ten people. How about 50? Yeah, that'd be great. 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. Yeah, even for 10. So as this, this part of the conversation comes to an end, it becomes perfectly clear there aren't even 10. And even Lot and his family may not be numbered among those who are righteous. It may have been that the city is vacant of righteous people. Nevertheless, Abraham was able to appeal to God's mercy and his righteousness. Now, I've noticed something. People tend to be in two camps. One is on the side of righteousness and the other one is on the side of mercy. But God is able to hold both of those together. We often have difficulty. That's why in human terms, we often find that the merciful are arguing against those who are calling for a strict interpretation of law in a situation. But God is, is not confounded by this. He is able to, to uh, integrate these two seemingly opposite ideas because in him, they exist together without contradiction or without conflict. In us, it's not the same. That's why we have to learn to think the way he thinks and to evaluate things the way he does. Now here's the third aspect of God's faithfulness that we discover in this. God has authority. Can you say that with me? God has authority. You see, Abraham trusts in God's authority. 
Abraham accepts God's authority. They've, they've approached things from the point of view of mercy. They've approached things from the point of view of righteousness. They've had dialogue and honest discussion together. And in all cases, Abraham knows God has authority. That's why he's a little shy. I don't want you to be angry, but let me ask you if it's even less, will that work? And God says it'll work. He accepts God's authority. And what that means is Abraham accepts God's verdicts. Now, we have difficulty sometimes when God wants to judge something that we don't want judged. And it's his timing, and his timing is perfect at those moments. Let me, let me be clear. There's not a simple principle you can derive from this about justice. There's a principle of intercession you can derive. But about justice, it's very hard, and I'll tell you why. When Jonah was given a word to go to Nineveh and to proclaim to them the coming judgment and destruction, Jonah thought that's a good plan. Even though he didn't want to go there, it's a good plan that God would judge Nineveh. But it wasn't actually God's plan to judge Nineveh in order to destroy Nineveh. It was his plan to warn Nineveh so that they could turn to him. Do you see that? God's goal was that people would turn to him. That was his goal. So we have to be very careful about how we, how we think about justice in strict senses because we don't sometimes know, is this a Nineveh situation or a Sodom and Gomorrah situation? Now, we don't like to think like that. We like to think we know everything perfectly clearly. And if someone's against all the things we hold dear, we'll throw them under the bus, right? The bus of justice. Let the bus of justice ride over them. And if we love someone, we'll want them to be spared in every case. If there are friends, we'll look for mercy. If there are enemies, we'll look for justice. So we have to be very, very careful in these matters. But Abraham understands this. God has authority. God issues verdicts. And, and Abraham accepts God's evaluation, God's declaration of right and wrong. Let me tell you something. The way you know what is right and what is wrong is because God tells us. If God didn't tell you, you wouldn't figure it all out. You'd figure some of it out, and you'd get some of it wrong. There are some things you like to do, isn't it true, that are wrong. Who can admit that? And there are some things you don't want to do that are actually good to do. Can you admit that too? And yet God's not wishy-washy, and he hasn't you know, gotten all confused. He knows what is good and what's not good. You want to hear a food story? Real short. I went out to eat with other leaders last week and ate a good meal. I was satisfied, ate correctly. And then the waiter came by and said, would you like dessert? <laughs> now my better, my better side, you know, said, don't get anything. The other side, you know what it said? Split something. <laughs> and so one of my friends across the table said to me, how about we split such and such? And I said, sure. <laughs> I, 
I was satisfied before the waiter came with the dessert. He presented it to me. I looked at it, and it looked like my half of the dessert was twice as big as a whole thing should have been. And then I just jumped in like an animal. <laughs> and I decided I'll eat it fast enough that my conscience can't stop me. <laughs> have you ever done that? Yes. Maybe that's not your kind of sin. You got another sin. But a lot of us rev up when it comes to sin. It's like, I'm going to get through this and get it behind me. <laughs> and as I took the first bite, I thought, this is not that good. So I need to eat more. So I ate the whole thing pretty quick. And as I'm eating it, I'm thinking, I'm not feeling so good. What was it? It was... <laughs> It was some kind of chocolate mousse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many of you have a weakness for chocolate? Mm. How many of you can be strong for chocolate? So I ate the whole thing that was in front of me. My friend ate his half. My half was twice as much as it should have been. His was too. But... I ate it, and as I was walking home, I'm thinking, I don't feel so good. And then I realized, I didn't have to feel this way. If only. Have you ever had those if only times? If only. If only I had just said no at the beginning. Uh, there was a way out. You know what the way out was? No. There was a second means of escape, not as good as the first, after I took the first bite. This is not that good. I could have put it away. I didn't. Yeah, I put it away. Yeah, that's the problem where I put it away. God has authority, and sometimes we have to lean into his authority. We're going to look at one more episode, the, the Akedah, the Binding of Isaac, episode 3 in Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. Remember, by this point, Abraham has received his son, Isaac, as promised. We read about that. Isaac has grown up into a, a young man, and Genesis 22 says, It came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Avraham, and he said, Hineni. What does Hineni mean? Here I am. Here am I. And then the Lord said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Wow. Abraham knew this about God. God gives direction. And he knew he could trust God when he gives direction, but we'll get back to that in a minute. Genesis 22, verse 6. So Avraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Avraham, his father, and said, 
my father. And he said, Hineni, here I am, my son. And then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. But the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven. This is a very interesting moment because the angel of the Lord is actually the Lord. But it's most typically used to describe when God comes down and takes on form that is like that of a man. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven and said, Avraham, Avraham, and he said, here I am, Hineni. And the angel of the Lord said, and this is, this is where you can see the equation. The angel of the Lord is the Lord. Look at this. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. You see, the angel of the Lord is the Lord speaking. If, they, if that were not the case, it would be correct to say you have not withheld him from him. Do you see that? Very important. Verse 13, then Abraham lifted his eyes, looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And so Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide Adonai Yireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So three more aspects of God's faithfulness that are revealed in this episode. Number one, God is faithful to give direction. Say that with me. God is faithful to give direction. He tells us things to do, and we can trust him as we do those things. Sometimes they're hard to do. This is one of the hardest things imaginable. The second aspect of God's faithfulness in this episode, God provides. Say that together with me. God provides. Abraham trusted the Lord not only for direction, but for provision. And that's why he could say to his son, the Lord will provide. And then there's another aspect that the writer of Hebrews brings out about this passage uh, but it shows us what was at work in Abraham. Abraham knew this last aspect of God's faithfulness, that God is the God of resurrection. Say God of resurrection. God of resurrection. God is the God of resurrection. Uh, the apostle writing in Hebrews says, Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. This is Hebrews eleven nineteen. It says, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So we also can trust that God will raise the dead. And we can have confidence that the resurrection of Yeshua is a demonstration of God's victory of the power of sin and death. Now there's a final episode. It's not in this Parsha, but it's a reflection that Paul made about um, the life of faith and how things work. And I want to review what, what I open with, Romans 4.20, once, once more, and then look at a final verse. It says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Never wavered is such a strong phrase. Say that with me. Never wavered. 
in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. You see, that thought connects to Romans 8.28, which is our closing scripture. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Romans 8.28. Abraham trusted the Lord because he knew God's plans were good. God says that over and over again. I know the plans I have for you. Plans for good. Abraham trusted the Lord because he knew God's plans were good. And so you and I can trust the Lord's plans too. We can be confident of this. God is trustworthy. You can trust him. God is faithful. You can put your faith in him. Yeshua came to show us the faithfulness of God and to make the way for each one of us to be reconciled to God, to have atonement for our sins, to receive forgiveness and to have a personal intimate relationship with God. And to prove this, Yeshua was resurrected from the dead. You can put your trust in God and all he's done for you through Yeshua. You can be confident that what Abraham experienced in the faithfulness of his life with God, you can experience too. The faith that Abraham had is not unique to him. It's a kind of faith that really trusts God. It's not content to have religious beliefs. (laughs) Siri making her comments. You can be sure of this. God is able to do it all. He who raised Yeshua from the dead will raise you. The faith that Abraham had is a kind of faith you can have. And you develop it by trusting him. He's he's promised you some things. Are any of you still waiting for some of his promises? Are you? And you know, you can't do it all yourself. If you try to make it happen, it won't happen the right way. God knows how to do things. God's got his timing. Some of you are waiting right now, and you know the word of the Lord to you is wait. And others of you, you've had to move out into an area of risk because the word of the Lord to you was, now, take your step. When you walk in faithfulness to God, it may not be easy, but it works out good. Your sense of timing and his sense of timing may be different. Guess who needs to make the adjustment? We do. You can talk to him, you can negotiate all the way down, and then you'll find that still his word is the authoritative verdict, not yours. But he will do what he says because he's faithful. This you can be sure of. In this you can have confidence. I want to pray for you that you will know that God hasn't changed. He's the same for you that he was for Abraham. The details are different because aspects of your life and your calling are different, but he's just as faithful today as he was back then. And I want you to walk in that confidence. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you don't change. Thank you that you are still faithful. Thank you that today you are the God of Abraham. You're the God of Isaac. You're the God of Jacob. Today you still are and forever you will be. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son, Yeshua, 
for letting him become that perfect sin offering for us, making a perfect atonement for us, reconciling us, and also demonstrating you have the power to keep your promises, to do everything you say, and you have had a victory over the power of sin and death. We want to walk with you into the future you have planned for us. We want to say yes to you. We want to line ourselves up with your good plans. And so we open our hearts to you, We open our minds to you. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices, obedient servants to your will. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. 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 Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please stand? If you're standing all by yourself, move. (laughs) Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er Adonai panavelecha vichunecha yisa Adonai panavelecha vayasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom.